Good morning and welcome. I'm glad each of one of you is here. And the uh, notes, the outline, actually not many notes, is on the back of your bulletin. So this sermon is about practices or activities that uh, the church here, Bethel, might be able to engage in in order to fulfill the mission of the church. So I have preached, um, <clears throat> this is information for visitors and uh, maybe for people who have attended regularly. So I've preached 10, ten sermons here um, on Anabaptist beliefs and practices uh, I started this in April, and these sermons covered uh, the roots of the Reformation, major 16th century beliefs of various groups, the Anabaptist separation from Zwingli in January 1525, Reformation views of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the Anabaptist view of Scripture, uh, church-state relationship, the Anabaptist view of God, Christ, man, and scripture. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, man and salvation. And the Anabaptist view of the church and then vision for the future. And in the last uh, sermon on vision for the future, I said that Anabaptism offers a compelling vision, and I stated some areas uh, the work of Christ for us in his life and death. I talked about initial salvation and the resurrection of Christ for us and in us. Like uh, we, we die and rise with Christ as he died and rose. Uh, the resurrection of Christ for us, the Christian life is discipleship, the church is a community, and I talked about non-resistant love. And I also said that it is difficult to have a healthy, vibrant church unless people have a common understanding of who they are and what they are trying to do or who they're trying to be. And I offered these seven areas that are on the back of the bulletin as uh, areas in which the Church of Jesus Christ should articulate and embody a compelling vision. So they were uh, worshiping and teaching Bible doctrine, proclaiming the gospel, which actually two and three probably should have been combined, Providing belonging and fellowship, making disciples, experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and identifying gifts and providing opportunities for service. Okay, so they, these are wonderful, maybe, maybe. And maybe you would have other mission statements, that's fine. But these might be wonderful mission statements. This is what... Jesus said the church is about or what the gospels and the epistles 
focus on is the mission of the church. There might be wonderful statements, and uh, we really like maybe that they're in two or three words so that, you know, maybe we can remember them kind of. But then the problem is if, if, there, if we're not doing, if we don't have any activity that expresses those mission statements, then how are they going to be carried out? Or how will you experience or fulfill that mission statement if you have no activity that you engage in that will fulfill it? So this morning, I'm going to try to offer um, some activities. Uh, now, I should say that maybe, maybe me getting up here and talking like this about activity will sound like, okay, I got this all figured out and I'm just telling you the answers. And I feel really sensitive about that, and I don't like it at all. And ideally, uh, we should have had a conversation uh, like in Sunday school or everybody um, and, and gotten your input. <clears throat> that would have been wonderful, but I didn't do that. I don't know if I thought about it quick enough. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to say, um, I have been involved in these kind of conversations. Uh, this is about the fourth time, uh, either faith builders or at church. And I, I just want you to know that these, this kind of discussion is way harder than you might think. It is way harder for a group of people to come to a common agreement on we're going to do this and this and this and this and this in order to accomplish this. And um, this, this is no critical statement whatsoever. It is not. But I was reminded of that truth, how hard it is to have a uh, a conversation and arrive at something when we talked the other Sunday night about about prayer meeting men's prayer groups on prayer meeting evening. Uh, and it was a good discussion and the contributions that people had to that were very helpful. But I'm saying the reason these discussions can be hard is there are many different opinions and and it takes time to help everyone feel heard and incorporate what you're able to. And then if we can't get that done, somehow we have to all be okay with what we can do and can't do. I'm just saying it would have been nice if all of you could have contributed and we could have had a long conversation. Then I could be up here telling you what we all agreed on. So I did get John and Ricky John to contribute to this, but what I want to say about all of that, what I just said, is that I want us to see what I'm going to say as opening the discussion and not closing it. 
the verses on the board are taken from Acts 2, and they don't summarize his whole sermon, but um, they, do, they do speak of a vibrant kind of church in which the kinds of things I'm going to talk about were happening, and this was the early church where people were gathering together and they were being instru instructed in the doctrines and they were fellowshipping together and they were uh, practicing the Lord's Supper and they were uh, gathering in each other's homes. Although I need to say they probably didn't have church buildings to gather in, so maybe they were just having church in homes which honestly I could find very attractive, but that's not how we do it here, and I'm not promoting it. I'm not going to give that as an activity this morning. That's just a side note. So let's begin here with the first one I have, the mission of worship, uh, singing whatever you include in worship. And I think we would all agree that worshiping God is a primary mission of the church. Now, nowhere does uh, in Scripture is there a different definition of what worship of God uh, is. It's not stated as such. We have the verses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7, that read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the meaning here is that the Lord God is the one and only God. And uh, I've made this comment before here, and I have a reason for emphasizing this. It is talking about God being unique, the only one of his kind. It is not talking about God being number one, as in a numeral one. It is not denying the Trinity. It's saying that God is the unique one in contrast to all the gods of the heathen. All the other gods are no god at all. This is the one true God. Uh, the word translated one here is the same word translated one flesh in Genesis 2.24, and the idea is not uh, singleness, but unity. The verse is intended to be a concise statement of what we would call monotheism, and not to deny the Trinity. And the command then is to love this one and only unique God with your whole person and don't commit yourself to any other gods because he's the only one. And the person who loves and worships God in this way will want to do what God commands and incidentally will also want to tell other people about God 
and especially one's children, which I will return to in a little bit. So the book of Nehemiah helps us understand the importance of worship. The children of Israel had been taken captive by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, because Israel and Judah had broken the covenant and worshipped false gods. And they did this periodically. They had cycles. And Nehemiah 8 says, The people told Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses and read from it, and that is what happened. They did that from morning till midday, and the people obeyed what they heard read from the book of Moses, and they confessed their sins, and they worshipped God. So in addition to reading and expounding the word of God, there's worship includes singing, which I greatly enjoy, greatly enjoy hearing. I'm looking forward to this afternoon. And praying, these are uh, essential activities of a healthy church. And so I just want to say that who and how we worship determines who we are. It makes being, worship makes being who God wants us to be possible. And then it also makes doing what God wants us to do possible. It helps us understand what he wants and it might motivate us to do what he wants. So we are the sheep of God's pasture, Christ's pasture, and worship keeps us humble. It reminds us of who God is and who we are. It nourishes our souls and it sustains us. And of course, I think we all believe worship is essential. So I want to say something about meeting place and uh, all, all of us who attend here, Bethel. Uh, we know what the conversation has been. <clears throat> and I just want to say that I long for this church to have a meeting place that we can all attend and be comfortable in and feel relaxed in and not be afraid that we are going to uh, not be worried about our health. And um, for whatever it's worth. I also believe the shape and acoustics of a building do matter. And I'm aware that you can worship in a cave and you don't need stained glass windows. But I also believe that a cave would have rather resounding acoustics. That would work out really well. Well, anyway, it does matter. I'm just saying it does matter the building we're in. Um, I think God honors our worship in this building, but it's not as conducive to worship. Just being honest about it. Then we have worship. We have this matter of sharing and bearing through testimonies, sharing and bearing up with each other through testimonies, personal sharing of need. 
And uh, I would just say that I think we struggle in this. Maybe it's partly the room. And uh, you, people can't hear, so you have to use a mic, and nobody likes talking to a mic. We're scared of a mic. Yes, we are. Uh, so anyway, we're hindered in some ways, and I'm not being critical, but uh, I really long for a church where people feel free to share their thoughts and their struggles, and and um, we need we need to develop the uh, habit of doing this and maybe praying for people if they have need of prayer right in the service. Maybe lay hands on them. That would be fine. And then worship, I think, also includes this of extending grace and mercy to people. Um, so I wanted to say this this morning, that I am convinced that it is, it is impossible for us to create a utopia by living perfectly. I don't know if you like that statement or not. I don't think that we are going to be able to get anybody into such a perfect state that they never have a struggle, a challenge, questions or doubts or need support or, or help in some way. This, that is not this world. That means then that it ought to be okay to speak to each other about our lives. And, uh, and I want to say that one of the hindrances, this is true in Sunday school class, one of the hindrances to sharing is, I don't know how to say this, maybe I don't know how to say this nicely, I'm sorry. One of the hindrances is when there are people in the body, in the group, in a class, who tend to uh, fix people. And that is to say things like Job's friend said to Job that really are not helpful or encouraging. Uh, like if you were more spiritual, you wouldn't have this problem. These are some of the challenges in worship and in sharing. And I am, um, I think we all have things we could learn. So we, we extend grace and mercy to each other, but the, the, one, the one ditch is, is not to care about people where they are, and another ditch might be to uh, get in the ditch with them, and we're all in a hopeless state. And, uh, and I do not believe that's true. We are not in a hopeless state. Uh, we, are, we are in a, I don't know what picture to present. We, we are in a uh, ship maybe rowing somewhere, and Jesus is in the boat with us. And we are not alone, and we are not helpless. But that doesn't mean the wind isn't blowing, and the waves aren't high. Okay, but we're going to be okay. So somehow to bring all this together in worship. Um, <clears throat> teaching biblical doctrine, I need to move on. I can see that clock is going faster than I am. 
teaching biblical doctrine. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 15 reads, And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles. These are people he gave to the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, perhaps pastors who teach, for the purpose of these people given by God, by Christ, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, which means for the work of serving, people in the body being equipped through preaching, teaching, so on. Through those activities, people are being equipped so they can serve the Lord day by day. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, the word perfect means mature, uh, it's the idea of uh, helping people achieve the goal. And the idea is the goal for which God created them. That we should no longer, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So the church needs Bible truth, uh, not man's ideas, to become kingdom of God people. That's the summary of that. Jesus Christ is the cohesive person and principle in all the scriptures and the key to understanding scripture. So what I'm saying is we are teaching Bible doctrine as it's rooted in Christ, who he was, what he taught, how he lived. We know what a kingdom of God life is by understanding who Christ is, what he taught, and how he lived. One qualification of a kingdom of God teacher, we're talking about teaching biblical doctrine, one qualification of a kingdom of God teacher is that the person lives a kingdom of God life. Only people who are living a kingdom of God life can lead people into a kingdom of God life. That's one principle of teaching and living that you can't help somebody become a person that you're not. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about any of us being perfect teachers. But... This is about the intention to follow Christ and to be a kingdom of God person. Now, where can these activities happen? So ideally, I'm going to say the first place people should learn to know God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, learn about these things and experience them and the Bible 
is at home. Ideally, it's at home. But I know from experience, and I know by, from talking with people, that uh, it's very hard for parents sometimes to talk about spiritual things with their children um, why is that? And I could give some reasons. Uh, I'm not sure what they all are. Uh, I've experienced that myself, some reservation, hesitation. And um, <clears throat> I'm just making something up here. Maybe one reason can be that I was mad this forenoon and the children saw it. And so I feel a little bit, you know, embarrassed about that, and I'm not, um, I'm not sure if I feel qualified to be talking about loving people. There's various issues, reasons, perhaps. So to talk about the congregation, the primary times when we have opportunity right now to teach doctrine is when we are together on Sunday morning, Sunday morning sermon, Sunday school. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves is how we can use these one and a half hours best. And uh, just to be transparent, you might want to say that we could start by uh, helping the preachers preach about our sermons. You're supposed to chuckle a little. And uh, that may be true, that that would be helpful. Um, other opportunities include Christian day school, instruction class, special meetings. There are opportunities, but um, I, think, I think it would be helpful. I'm not saying this out of criticism, but I think it would always be helpful to ask ourselves when we have responsibility with a class or whatever we're responsibility is whether we are using this time wisely in the best way and what is our goal here and what do we intend to accomplish in this 30 minutes we have uh, to make the time count. Um, perhaps reading, I hope nobody faints here. Please don't faint. Perhaps reading our congregational agreement once a year with a full reading of the scriptures would be appropriate. Uh, I've never been in a church where we did that. I've never experienced that, but maybe, maybe that would be fine. Um, maybe first we'd have to explain how, well, anyway. Now, the purpose of this isn't this, but it's this. I'm just saying, I think we could have uh, maybe feel some sensitivity about, about reading the covenant because it's not the Bible, and what are we trying to promote? Uh, but it might be helpful and appropriate. It certainly shouldn't be elevated beyond Scripture or above the Bible. Uh, but it does summarize, I think, what we said. Uh, we understand 
some fundamental Bible doctrine, how it applies to daily life, and it's okay to talk about it. Teaching all age groups Bible doctrine requires wisdom and appropriate methods. And I'm not going to give some exhaustive points on this, but I think we all know children learn best with stories and interactive conversations with someone they trust. We know that's true. That's true at home. It's true in class. It's true at school. All age groups learn best when the doctrine being taught is connected to real life situations. And uh, we cannot have helpful discussions. I mentioned this before. In a Sunday school type of discussion when people make comments that kill discussion. Now, I've been in classes like this. Uh, and I say these are usually fixing kind of kinds of comments. And uh, I'm not going to go into that more here. Uh, maybe they're often pious, but not too helpful with people, for people in difficult situations. The next area, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel is intended to bring all people, groups, into one family. There's no such thing as race in the kingdom of God. The gospel is intended for all people, groups not just Mennonite children. The gospel says that Jesus Christ bore to the cross everything that was ruined by the fall, everything that's a result of sin, Jesus bore to the cross. And all our weaknesses were born to the cross, and we need to find ways to help people not only know that this is true, but experience the presence of Jesus working in them during real life situations when they're being tempted or overwhelmed by circumstances. And, and there are people here who experience temptation or are overwhelmed by circumstances on some days. And uh, what do we do? How do we walk with people to help them realize Jesus is alive, the Holy Spirit is here, and you're not alone here. And it does help when other people are with you. Providing belonging and fellowship. So there's this thing of hospitality. Um, fellowship meals. And the hostess list. Inviting people into our homes. Uh, being friendly with people. Wherever we are. Uh, and probably uh, we do fairly well at this. I, I think so. Uh, I'm really impressed uh, around here with how much work the women do to make all this happen because I'm pretty sure it's not the men that are cooking the food too much sometimes, but uh, I'm, I'm acknowledging. I know that this thing of uh, hospitality does require a lot of energy. I'm just acknowledging that. Uh, having fellowship evenings, playing games together, I think that is a helpful um, fellowship 
belonging activity, that, those kinds of things. Uh, doing work projects together, helping people move. We participated in something here recently for someone. Uh, church and school work projects. Uh, yeah, yeah, I want to say, Gary, thank you for your email. His response to our help. Um, youth group provides fellowship and belonging for the youth. That's good. Um, and helping people with medical, um, financial needs, we do some of that. Uh, some of that happens, and uh, and uh, we don't tell the church. It's more of a personal matter, but that does happen. And all all of this is about fellowship and belonging. And I just want to say that I know. There are people who leave churches because they don't feel like they belong. It's the lack of interaction, the lack of conversation, um, and all of us probably could do better at uh, relating well with people. Um, maybe like, um, like I did this morning, came in the back carrying food, comes over to the kitchen, and I've got this one thing on my mind, and I'm just like business-like, and I don't say good morning to anybody. I'm just powering forward. That's how I am sometimes, you know. Got my thing I got to do, and please step aside. I might run over you if you don't. And um, maybe it was the Holy Spirit talking to me that uh, reminded me that, you know, you could say good morning, and you could slow down a little bit, and so when I went back, I did. Uh, but th th these are all ways of relating and uh, things we can do to provide belonging and fellowship. So the one on making disciples, I'm talking here about both missions, like um, reaching out to the lost, and I'm also talking about helping people become better disciples. Uh, the Bible talks about both of these. So here's one principle about missions and making disciples. Disciples are not made in one sermon or conversation. They are not. That is not how disciples are made. We need to understand that spiritual growth and transformation is not a crisis event. It takes place over time. We do not expect a single lesson or conversation to accomplish all that God desires in a person's life. And I think when I was younger, I had the idea that when someone is in deep distress, God can solve this if I just pray. If I would just pray once for them, this would take care of this whole issue. And that is very short-sighted. It's not true at all. It might take care of something, but it's just this idea that if we say the right thing, teach the right thing, preach the right sermon, read the right verse, this will fix 
everything up, and it is not. It is not how this works. So Christian maturity is a lifelong process that requires patience and faithfulness. So we have activities uh, like singing in nursing homes, jail ministry. Uh, both of those kind of went by the wayside during COVID. Uh, boys club, summer Bible school, foreign missions. Uh, maybe we could uh, even support someone from our church if they felt called to go somewhere. It's the kind of thing that I believe can be helpful. Uh, sponsoring refugees. Some of these actually were Ricky's idea. Ricky was thinking. John had a few things too. Um, uh, having men's groups, women's groups, which I think there are some of those here at church. Having spiritual conversations when we talk about things, and I don't mean we always have to talk about spiritual things, but I do think it's a difficulty when we cannot, will not, talk about something spiritual, or we turn the conversation away from that when uh, someone brings something up. Uh, eating out is a good thing, if you feel comfortable with that, going fishing, whatever, activities that are part of making disciples, places where you can talk about things. Um, I'll just say, when I was um, with my father on the farm and we were together, um, did things like uh, went to the woods together, ran a sawmill together, built a barn together. <clears throat> I thought my father was a very quiet man. And he didn't talk too much. But in all those kinds of activities when we were working together, and I'm not, I'm not being critical, he talked nonstop. Literally, he talked nonstop. And he was, he was very easy to be with. And I learned a lot of things. And he told, mostly told stories. He told stories about growing up, all kinds of things. Sometimes he told the same story twice in a day. And I thought to myself, that's what he's doing. He's telling it again, and I'm never going to do that. But I do. So sometimes I think we underestimate the places that, that uh, disciples can be made. Um, experiencing the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so in general, I believe Mennonites have tended to frown on Holy Spirit revelations. I think we have. A little bit skeptical. Or even Holy Spirit leading of individuals. We're not quite sure. If it's not stated in the scripture where they get that idea. Oh, I don't know. They said God told me. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, and maybe part of it is the emphasis we place on discerning God's will as a group. Um, and I just want to say, I don't consider myself to be a faith healer. Uh, I'm not a Holy Spirit, Holy Roller, or whatever. 
I'm not. Uh, sometimes I think that my brain gets in the way of uh, feeling. <clears throat> but I, I have already, especially during times of prayer, personally or with somebody, uh, especially when someone was talking to me and I didn't know what to do and was praying, I have sometimes um, had thoughts, impressions, impulses, and I will confess, sometimes I have actually literally heard a voice in my head. And if you think that makes me crazy, then you just have to think that. Um, <clears throat> I, I think this is a challenging subject. Uh, when is it the Holy Spirit? And uh, I'm just saying that there is a Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit is alive, and uh, I'm trying to emphasize that by mentioning it here. So, uh, personal private prayer is always appropriate. We experience the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The last item I have is identifying gifts and providing opportunities for ministry. I'll just say I believe we need to put forth more effort to understand people's dreams, desires, gifts, the things that they would love to do. If they had the opportunity, I ask people sometimes, if you could do anything you want, what would you do? It's not because I'm going to tell them to do it, but I think it helps people to think about, if you could do anything you want, what would it be? That often speaks of gifts, and deep heart desires. Uh, I know people who are depressed because they feel stuck in their life and they don't know how to move on. And sometimes, I don't mean this critically, but sometimes this happens because pastors and parents throw roadblocks in the way of people's dreams and calling. So it takes a lot of wisdom here. So our, our annual reorganization gives many people a chance to serve, but I think sometimes what can happen is that we don't think about people's gifts. We just ask ourselves, who doesn't have a job? Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what to do with those kinds of questions, issues. Now I want to say, last of all, that I believe youth have a tremendous amount of energy way more than I do. If I didn't have something pressing to do, I could probably take a nap at 11 in the morning. But I don't usually. But uh, I used to have a lot of energy too, and I still do, but not as much. And so my question is, what do we do, what do we do to help people with energy have places to put it that's productive. And uh, I know, you know, people can go and play volleyball, basketball, whatever, softball. That's not sin, but uh, other things that 
uh, people can do regularly that will be better. So <clears throat> my summary here is that I, I'm trying to stir up your thinking about appropriate ways to think about these areas of mission and activities uh, we could engage in. Certainly that's what I've shared, it's not exhaustive. Uh, so I'm looking forward to your response. Maybe we don't have time here today, but as we go on, your response, activities that you're thinking of. The question we should ask, each of us ask ourselves is whether we are fully invested in the mission and activities of the church. Do we put ourselves into the worship? Do we share what the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts? Do we attend and participate in prayer meetings? Do we speak during opportunities to respond uh, to sermons or when we're with other people and have opportunity? And uh, all of this, uh, we just need to think about how engaged we are in the activities that we do have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can be together here this morning, and thank you for these people. And thank you that you are at work in our hearts. And I pray that you would speak to each of us whatever it is you want us to know, to learn, and direct us as a church as we continue on and uh, turn our hearts and minds toward you and give us wisdom in living together and worshiping you and serving you and seeking to follow you. And thank you. Amen.